Well, good morning and welcome again to St. Paul's. We're so glad that you're with us. As we begin, would, uh, would you please pray with me? And turn us again, Lord God of hosts. Show us the light of your countenance and we shall be whole. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I think this has been a time of fragmentation. I think I, I won't be alone in experiencing that somewhat. I think for many people, we're in an ongoing season of being a little bit broken. Broken apart from each other, broken in our normal routines, and what we can do and what we can't do, with whom and when. And that brokenness can not just manifest on what's happening outside of us in our exterior selves, but it's something that, that goes down inside of us as well. We're dealing with a, a mental health epidemic. We're going to be dealing with these, uh, the repercussions of the season that we've been in for a long time. And as we do so, we're going to be engaged in this striving for wholeness. Wholeness. It's a desire that think everyone has to be aligned, to be contained, to be, to be one. And it's wholeness that our scriptures speak to us about today, a wholeness that goes all the way down to the core. We're walking through E100, the hundred essential passages of scripture that hold together the Bible as a single book. And in the past week, we saw the rise of Israel as a nation, going all the way from this tiny little family to this single nation with a king, King David, and the, the week had a cliffhanger ending that we heard from Bishop Jenny last week with David wanting to build a house for God, a temple, and God saying, no, you're not going to do that. Your son's going to do that. And if last week was Israel's rise, and it was Israel's rise, then this week is Israel's fall, and it happens as quickly as that, so quickly. And in today's reading, we see the, something of the climax of the story arc that we've been reading over the past weeks as King Solomon, David's son, builds the temple, a house for God. And it's the climax because with the temple, there's this promise of God dwelling with his people, like they've finally arrived. They finally have a place. And in today's reading, we're going to look at that temple and what it was and what it meant and what it means to us. Now, we're in the weeds of the Old Testament here, so first a bit of background on King Solomon. He's the son of King David by Bathsheba. That's a story unto itself that we can't get into today. He's designated as the heir to David's throne, which he secures after a brief and bloody conflict with his brothers. And his defining characteristic, what King Solomon's known for, is wisdom. As wise as Solomon, the saying goes. In 1 Kings 3, just a few chapters before our reading today that we heard from John, we read that God appeared to Solomon in a dream, and he said to Solomon, he basically gave him a wish. It's like, ask for anything you want, and King Solomon, out of his, out of his depth in governing, says, I don't know what to do, give me wisdom, and God is pleased. He's pleased that he asked for this, and God gives him not only wisdom, but riches and honor. He says, you'll discern right from wrong, and if you walk in my ways and keep my law, I will give you a long life. So Solomon gets wisdom. But what matters to God isn't just knowing the right thing, but doing the right thing. And as we'll see later, that's Solomon's downfall. 
because despite all his knowledge, he eventually falls prey to the temptations of kingship. He takes hundreds of foreign wives and concubines. This is a political strategy for securing alliances. And he falls into idolatry. He goes after the gods that they bring to his house. And he amasses great wealth and power, military might, which God's law cautions against for a king of Israel because it leads a king to imagine that the security of the nation is established by the strength of the army rather than by God's favor. And we're seeing the temptations of kingship playing out right now in our own world, aren't we? Of people who say in their hearts that there is no God, and I know it's a scary time. But Scripture assures us that a judgment awaits and that justice will prevail. As a result of doing all the things that Solomon did, Solomon, despite all his wisdom, goes astray. He falls away from God, and the kingdom breaks in half as a result. It starts a long, slow disintegration from which the nation never really recovers. They're taken into captivity and to exile, and when they finally return to their homeland hundreds of years later, we heard about this in the Nehemiah sermon series last spring, they're a shadow of their former glory. They're a vassal state to various foreign empires, and they sort of bounce between them, and they never come back. But I'm getting ahead of myself because before the end begins, we get the temple that Solomon builds, and we see what could have been, what should have been. Now, in Jenny's sermon last week, we heard how King David wanted to build a house for God, but God said no. Elsewhere, Scripture tells us it's because David had shed too much blood. So the honor goes to his son Solomon. And in the chapters immediately prior to our reading this morning, we get a detailed description of the temple. Here's an artist's representation of what that would have looked like. You can see it was a richly decorated, elaborate building dedicated to the ritual life of Israel. And you can see there in the back corner, back left corner, at the very center was a room called the Holy of Holies. In that room, there were two massive statues of angels, cherubim, not like the kind that are on Valentine's, cute, but these are terrifying human-headed lions with eagle's wings. And between them, the chest that held the two stone tablets that held the Ten Commandments, like the movie with Charlton Heston, the, the Ten Commandments, the covenant, the law of God, in between the angel's wings. But what's so fascinating about the, the heart of the temple is what wasn't there. There's no statue of God. There's no idol. There's no visual depiction. There's just a box. Just a box, an ark hold, between the two angels. A box that holds the record of the words that God has spoken. The law that God had given. In the account of building the temple, Scripture says that when the ark was put in place, smoke filled up the house and the glory of God so that the people couldn't even stand up or, or do the service. And Solomon, he prays to God. He says, God, heaven itself can't contain you, let alone this house. But he asks that the temple is going to be a place where heaven and earth will meet. God's house on earth where God will see his people and God will hear their prayers. And at the end, he prays that God will direct his people's hearts to keep God's commandments. Which brings us to our reading from this morning. 1 Kings 9, verses 1 to 9, if you'd like to follow along. Verses 1 and 2, after Solomon has built the temple, then the Lord appears to him a second time. The first time is when he appeared to him and Solomon asked for wisdom. Verse 3, I've heard your prayer and answered it. I've consecrated and dedicated this house to my name, God says, and my eyes and heart are going to be there forever. But 
So we're going to see it's a conditional forever. And as for you, walk before me, live in front of me. That means walk before me means live in front of me. Understand who is witnessing your life. It's like live your life as if you're on stage before God with integrity of heart and uprightness and obedience to the law. So the interior and the exterior have to be aligned. The, the alignment between your heart and your deeds, what you do with your heart and what you do with the law. And then your throne will endure, God says. But, and this is a big, big if, if you or your children turn aside from me and don't keep the law and serve other gods, the implication being that to disobey God's law is to serve other gods, then I will cut Israel off from the land and I will cast out from my sight this house for my name and Israel will be mocked by other nations and this house will become a heap of ruins and passers-by will mock and say, why has the Lord done this to the land, to the house? And the answer will be, verse 9, because they forsook the Lord who brought their ancestors out of Egypt and they embraced other gods and therefore the Lord has brought this disaster upon them. This is not an accident. The Lord has brought this disaster on them. And at this point in the story, what they're going to do with this is an open question. Will they stay faithful or won't they? But as I mentioned earlier, Solomon doesn't stay faithful, and that's the beginning of the end of Israel. There's a real shift in themes here. In our preaching throughout the E100 series, the story of everything, one of the, one of the main themes we've been identifying has been God's covenant faithfulness, God's faithfulness to, faithfulness to the agreement that he makes with human beings. The story of everything is a story of God's faithfulness, even when people lack faith. And God's love is demonstrated in him, in him ultimately keeping both sides of the covenant. God's side and the human side, God takes on flesh, becomes a human being so that he can keep faith to the covenant. Now we know that the covenant is ultimately maintained by God and Jesus, but this ultimate fulfillment doesn't negate the consequences for God's people when they turn away from him and break faith with his covenant. The terms of that covenant are to follow God and to worship him only, and the way that you do that is by obeying his law. But that requires more than wisdom. Even Solomon's wisdom, your heart has to be in the right place. Your heart has to be in the right place. And that's the point of this reading for us. A couple of weeks ago, I said that to understand the spiritual significance of the book of Judges, we had to see that it was a historical picture of the human person. It was a depiction of a human person written on a historical scale. All the ways that we wander from God. And there's a similar interpretive principle going on here in 1 Kings. And that what we're seeing in some ways with the building of the temple is a geographical or an architectural picture of the human person. And when we understand this, we can understand its spiritual significance for us. So bear with me here. The geographical picture of a human person, what do I mean? Imagine the entire nation of Israel at the time, God's people, as being a single human being, a single body. And the various parts of the land are like the parts of the body. And Jerusalem, the capital city, is like the head, the head of the person. And the capital city is ruled by the king. And if the nation is the body, the king is like the mind. Because just like a king gives orders and the country obeys, go here and do that, our, our minds give orders and our bodies, most of the time, they obey. And the Bible tells us that Solomon had one of the great minds of all time, more wisdom than any other king who has ever lived. And if the king is to the nation as the body is to the mind, as the mind is to the body, then a wise king is like an extremely good mind. 
But as important as the king is, as important as the king is, he's still not the most important part of the body. The mind isn't the most important part of the body. The most important part of the body is the heart. Because the heart is about what you love. The heart tells you what you love and what you hate. The heart tells you what you'll live for, what you'll die for, what you'll kill for. So the mind might think it's calling the shots, but really it's always following the heart's lead. No matter how rational and logical you think you are, it's the heart, hidden, obscure often to us, that's calling the shots. And if the nation is the body and Jerusalem is the head and the king is the mind, it's the temple, it's the house of God that's the heart of Israel. And in the depiction of the temple we see here in 1 Kings, we get a picture of the human heart, a place with lots of chambers and compartments, shadows and corners, and at the very center is the holy of holies, the inner sanctum, the heart of the heart. But unlike every other nation, Every other nation's temple, the inner sanctum of Israel's temple doesn't have an idol. It doesn't have a dead statue of wood or metal, a picture of a god that looks like a man or an animal. And the holy of holies at the heart of Israel's temple is the law of their god. And the difference between the law of God and an idol is that the law asks us whether our faith is true. The law tests sincere faith, because you can put on a show of devotion in front of an idol. You can bow down to it, you can praise it. That's easy, that doesn't need faith, but nobody keeps the law of a God that they don't believe in. That's why God tells Solomon he needs to walk with integrity of heart and keep the commandments.